So this Christmas, we are doing a four-week series on the gifts that Jesus brings us by being born, growing up, dying on the cross, rising, the gifts that Jesus brings. So we've talked about the gift of righteousness, which covers our remaining sin. Last week, Pastor Ben preached a powerful sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 on the gift of grace, the riches of grace that come to us through trusting Christ. And today we're going to talk about the gift of godliness, godliness from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Now, why is godliness so important? Why? What's what's godliness and, and, and why is it so important? Well, think about it like this. When Jesus saved us, he opened our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, so that we saw his glory, his majesty. We wanted him more than anything else. He was our joy. He was our delight. He is our fullness. We saw Jesus. We wanted Jesus. And so our desires were for him. Our love was for him. That's what happened when we were saved. But the problem is that every day we still battle sin, right? Every day we battle impatience. We battle Bitterness, we battle unforgiveness, we battle jealousy, prayerlessness, timidity in sharing the gospel, whatever it might be. Every day we battle sin. And when we're battling sin, it's like we're in a dungeon. Here's this dungeon here, and big, thick, wooden door locked shut. So we are in this dungeon battling to get out of sin. Jesus is outside of the dungeon, so we're cut off from him by this sin that we're dealing with. And That's what we're facing, and so the big question is, how do we bust out of this dungeon to get back into the pathway of obedience and enjoying the presence of Jesus? And the answer to that is godliness. That's how we bust out of the dungeon. The problem, though, is that we tend to bust out of the dungeon just by relying on our own efforts. So we we maybe kick at the door, or we push at the door, or we run in and try to break through the door, and none of those help. Nothing helps. Nothing happens. So we can try to be patient, or we can try to stir up courage to tell somebody about Jesus, or we can try to overcome envy or bitterness or whatever it might be. But our own efforts is just like you running up against this thick door wall. Boom! The wall's still there, and you're hurting. It doesn't work. But godliness is how we break through that door, how that door opens so that we can be once again in the path of obedience, enjoying the beautiful fellowship and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is good news, and we're going to see it in today's passage, that by being born into the world, Jesus has given us the key to the dungeon door. Jesus has given us the key to open the door. So instead of relying on our own kicking or pushing or running and bumping, we use the key. And when we use the key that Jesus gives us, the door swings open, and we are freed, and we once again can be on the path of obedience, experiencing the beautiful, satisfying presence of Jesus Christ. So the big question is, what is this key that Jesus brings us by being born into the world? And Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Let's read those verses. 
1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says. He's writing to Timothy, who's young leader of the church at Ephesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, speaking of Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So in those first two verses, 14 and 15, Paul explains why he wrote this letter of 1 Timothy. So let's focus on that. That'll give us the context of verse 16. What is the purpose of 1 Timothy? And look again at verses 14 and 15 to see what the purpose of this letter is. Verse 14, Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now here's some background. Paul came to Ephesus around the year A.D. 52, and he preached the good news of Jesus there. And many put their faith in Jesus Christ, were born again, received forgiveness of sins, knew God by the Holy Spirit, and a church was planted. Beautiful. Paul stayed there for a while, teaching, discipling. Then he ended up leaving to go preach in other places and plant churches in other places. He ended up being arrested, taken to Rome where he was under house arrest, and then he was released. But over that period of time, he'd heard about some problems that had developed in this church in Ephesus. So Paul wanted to go and visit the church in Ephesus, but he knew he may face some delays on the way, so he sent a letter on ahead and the purpose of the letter, as he says here, was to help Timothy understand how they are to live in the church, the household of God, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, let's just camp on that description of church for just a second here, because I, I think that this is really important for us, Grace Church, to understand. This is what we are to be as a church. So, in what way is the church, Grace Church, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We all know what a pillar is, right? Hold something up. That's easy. What is a buttress, though? I had to look that up. So here's a picture of what, of what buttresses look like. See those diagonal braces there? So that's, unless you're an architect, you probably don't know that word, but that's what a buttress is, okay? So the point is that the church, God's people, like we here at Grace Church, one of our callings is to uphold and to support the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be as a church. And so, how do we do that here at Grace Church? There's lots of ways. We're doing that right now, Saturday mornings. We teach and preach the Bible, the good news of Jesus Christ. In our home groups, we open up the Bible and we study the Scriptures together. In our families, in our family devotions, we are studying the Scriptures together. We also uphold the, the truth of God's Word, the truth of Jesus Christ, by the way that we live in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and with our friends. 
We also uphold the truth of Jesus Christ in the words that we say to people who aren't yet trusting Jesus. So these are all ways that we, Grace Church, are called to be upholding the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to help him understand how believers are to live as the church, believing, studying, living the truth of who Jesus Christ is as given us in the Scriptures. That's pretty clear so far, but what Paul says next is kind of puzzling. Verse 16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is not an easy verse to understand, especially that phrase, mystery of godliness, which is great, Paul says. What is the mystery of godliness? What does Paul mean by the mystery of godliness? Well, one obvious clue we have is that, notice he connects it with six statements about Jesus. So the mystery of godliness has something to do with the fact that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Second, vindicated by the Spirit. Third, seen by angels. Fourth, proclaimed among the nations. Fifth, believed on in the world. And sixth, taken up into glory. Okay, so the mystery of godliness has something to do with these six statements about Jesus. But still, what is the mystery of godliness? What does that phrase mean? Let's start with the word mystery. Now, we can read that word, can't we? And we, we think that must be some kind of a mysterious like secret that I could never understand or figure out. But that's not what the word mystery means when Paul uses it in passages like this. When Paul uses the word mystery, he's not talking about a secret we can't figure out. He's talking about a truth that is revealed, that wasn't as revealed as clearly before Jesus came, a little bit more mysterious then, but it was revealed, but not as clearly. But now in Jesus, it's clearly revealed. That's what a mystery is when Paul uses this word. Now, let me show you that that's the case by having you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Here, Paul uses the word mystery, and it's clear that that's what he means by mystery. So look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This will show us that a mystery is revealed truth, something that was not as clear before Jesus came, but is clear now that Jesus has come. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. Paul says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery, there's the word, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, so here's, here's what the mystery is, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there's many different mysteries Paul talks about. This is one of them, the fact that we Gentiles are God's people through Christ, just like the Jewish people who are trusting Christ are. Gentiles are joined into God's people. But notice, mystery means a revealed 
truth that wasn't as clear before Jesus came, but is clear now. It's a revealed truth. So now with that in mind, let's go back to 1 Timothy 3.16, see if this starts to help us understand this verse a little bit better. Verse 16, the beginning. Great indeed, Paul says we confess, is the mystery, that is, the revealed truth of godliness. So that's the meaning of the word mystery. Now what about the word godliness? What does that mean? Paul's talking about the mystery, the revealed truth of godliness. What is that? Now some Bible students think the mystery of godliness is is the revealed truth of the Christian faith, the system of doctrine taught in the Scriptures. And let me just say that doctrine is super important. I hope you're all studying the Bible, learning more Bible doctrine, thinking, studying, learning. That's like the solid foundation of your faith. That's the rock on which we stand, the truth of God's Word. So doctrine is super important. But I don't think that's what the word godliness means here. And the reason is because if you look at every other time Paul uses the word godliness, it never refers to a system of doctrine. It refers to a way of living. It's not just like a statement of faith. It's this is how we live. It's a way of living. Godliness always has to do, the word always has to do with battling sin, growing in love, obeying Christ, glorifying God. It's how we live. It's not the truths we believe as important as those are. It's the way we live, how we live a godly life. That's godliness. So that's why other Bible students, including me, think that godliness here is referring to how we live a godly life. So the mystery of godliness is the revealed truth of how we live godly lives. That's what Paul's talking about here. And another reason that we can see that's the case is compare verse 16 with what Paul says in verses 14 and 15. Let's read that section again. And notice the words that are in in bold and highlight here. Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave. Godliness, right? That's godliness, how one ought to behave, living a godly life so that you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is this mystery, this revealed truth of godliness, how we live godly lives. So how one ought to behave is the same thing as the mystery of godliness here. So, all that to say, are you still with me? The mystery of godliness is the revealed truth of how we are to live our Christian lives. In other words, it is the key that opens the dungeon door. This is the mystery of godliness, the revealed truth of how we live the Christian life. So, what is the key? What is it? Let's ask that question. What is the revealed truth of how we live godly lives? And to answer that, let's read verse 16 again. This is amazing. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, the mystery of godliness is He, Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, 
proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So the mystery of godliness, the revealed truth of how we live godly lives is Jesus Christ. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so how then does Jesus do this? How does he enable us to live godly lives? And we probably all naturally think, well, it's, it's by being an example to us, right? That's how Jesus helps us. He says, here's what a godly life is. Now you do it. We could think it's by being an example to us. And Jesus is an amazing example, right? I mean, he says things like, lay your life down for each other the way I lay my life down for you on the cross. He says amazing things like that. So Jesus is an example to us, no doubt about it. But I don't think that's Paul's point here. Because in verse 16, the six truths that Paul gives us about Jesus are not descriptions of Jesus that we can follow him in his example of, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? These are not descriptions like, well, I could do that. Like, I can be God manifest in the flesh. No, you can't. Well, I can be proclaimed in the world. No, that's not the point. So none of these statements are statements that we emulate, we seek to follow Jesus' example in. Those are in other places of the Bible, but that's not what Paul is saying here. So the mystery of godliness, the revealed truth of how we live godly lives, is not Jesus as our example. It's not Jesus giving us an example to follow. What is it? It's Jesus giving us glory to behold. That's the mystery of godliness. That's the revealed truth of how we live godly lives. It's by seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. And one reason I say that is because the six statements that Paul gives describing Jesus all display his glory. And another reason I say that is because that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's look there so that you can see that this isn't just my idea. This is what Paul says. So look at 2 Corinthians 3, 18. This is one of the most important verses that you can learn to understand how to live the Christian life. It's very counterintuitive until you experience it, which, which we all have, all of us who are trusting Christ. But look at what Paul says here. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus, are being transformed. Now, don't miss that. How are we being transformed? By beholding glory. The beholding of Jesus' glory transforms. So we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this. So what transforms us, what frees us from sin, what motivates us is beholding Jesus' glory. Now let's just pause there and let this just sink in. Let's linger over this point a little bit. Before we were saved we had a veil of sin over our eyes, this veil of sin. And because of that, when you heard somebody preaching about Jesus, it was just words. Or when you had a friend talking to you about Jesus, it's just like, uh, let's talk about something else. Or if you opened up the Bible and started reading, it's like, uh, you know, dusty old 
irrelevant history, whatever. Remember? Remember how that was? That veil of sin blinded you so that you were not at all seeing and feeling the glory of Jesus. But when God saved you, he took that veil away. This happened by the, by the Holy Spirit. He took the veil away. And do you remember the first time that you heard about Jesus with that veil being lifted? Do you remember when you heard somebody preaching about Jesus? When you heard somebody, a friend, sharing the truth of Jesus with you? Or when you opened up the Bible and were reading, and because the veil had been removed, you saw glory. You saw majesty. You saw and felt the beauty of Jesus Christ. I mean, you saw, look at Jesus' love. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. Look at the authority that he spoke with. No one speaks with that kind of authority. And oh, the things that Jesus says, he's just like reading my heart. He knows exactly what's going on and who I am and what I struggle with. And no one, no one has compassion like Jesus has. And oh, look at his death on the cross. Look at but then look at his resurrection. And for the first time, it wasn't just words on a page or words coming in one year and going out the other, but it's glory, it's reality, it's truth. You are seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit removes that veil, when he first saves us, and that veil is lifted, we see and feel the glory of Jesus, and we start being transformed. The change happens immediately. Our desires change. I mean, because there's, there's no joy like being in the presence of Jesus Christ. This is amazing, this joy. I've, this is what I've been looking for all my life. Our feelings change. Why should I worry when I have Him? He's my Lord, my Savior. How could I worry when I have Him? Our actions change. I mean, why bother running after sin? I could have Jesus. Are you kidding me? Why trade Jesus for that? No way. Our actions start to change, and our motivations change. What, what can I do today? I want to display the glory of my Savior. What can I do to display Jesus' glory? So all this change takes place, but remember, what brought about that change? What transformed you? It, it wasn't by you trying to change your desires. It wasn't by you trying not to worry. It was by you beholding Jesus' glory, seeing and feeling the glory of Jesus Christ. So the revealed truth which produces godly lives is Jesus Christ himself. He is the way we change by worshiping him, studying him, knowing him, talking with him, fellowshipping with him, beholding him. That's how change comes. 1 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Corinthians 3.18. He is the key which unlocks the dungeon door. So, Grace Church, stop pushing against the door and stop kicking against the door and stop running and trying to knock down the door Look to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, show me who you are. You are the key. Once again, help me to see and feel your majesty, your beauty, your reality, your love, your justice, your power, your authority. 
Help me once again to see the salvation you've purchased for me, the life you've called me to live. Help me to see your glory. And when that happens, the key will open. The door will open. You will head out of the door. And once again, you're in the joy of his presence. Now, with that in mind, let's look at 1 Timothy 3.16. Let's just read that verse again, see if we've all got it, okay? I know it's kind of complicated here. We finally kind of landed, all right? We're going to fly it around, and now we're bringing the plane in. Here we go. Verse 16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. That is, the revealed truth of how we live godly lives is great. It's by seeing the glory of Jesus in these truths. Namely, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So the revealed truth of how to live godly lives is Jesus himself. It's knowing him, worshiping him, beholding him, loving him, studying him. That's the key that sets us free, the glory of Jesus. Now let's raise one last question. How does this really work? You know, in school, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll take classes that are like lecture classes, and then you'll hear all the theory, and then there'll be lab classes where you go and you practice the theory, right? You work it out, you see how it works. Anybody, right? Anybody take labs, lectures, labs? Anyway, that's how it is in the U.S. So we've done some lecture, now let's do a lab. So here's what I mean. Start by thinking of an area of sin in your life that you, you'd like to be freed from. Something you're battling. Maybe it's had a tough time with some impatience this week. Or maybe it's just kind of a, like, you feel like you've, you've left your first love, like my, my love for Christ is just gone. Or, or maybe it's an area of obedience you want to grow in, maybe being more prayerful. Maybe loving your brothers and sisters in Christ more or sharing the gospel more boldly. So, so pick an area of sin you'd like to see conquered or pick an area of obedience you'd like to see strengthened. Okay? You don't need to share it with anybody. This is just all between you and the Lord. All right? So you got one? Come on. This is serious. This is the lab now. You've got to have your lab experiment here. All right. Now, with that in mind, let's go through each of these six truths about Jesus. And let's think deeply about each of them. And ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see. Help me to see Jesus' glory as displayed in this truth. Because as that happens then, the key will open the lock, the door will open, and we will experience freedom from sin or growing obedience. And by the way, this dungeon picture, this is like, I'm in the dungeon numerous times every day, right? Isn't that how it is? It's not like there's one point in your Christian life where you're finally out of the dungeon, no more dungeon, I'm like free the rest of my life. That's just not how it works, okay? I'm back in the dungeon Usually first thing in the morning, it's like, oh, man, I'm just feeling so... Anyway, is that okay that I said that? That's just the truth. So we all are in the dungeon numerous times every day. And again, Jesus is there ready to give us the key numerous times every day. All right. So let's look at each of these six statements and ask the Holy Spirit to use them to show us Jesus' glory so we are transformed. I want to pray and just ask God to come and do this right now. Let's pray. Father, we join our hearts together. I pray that you would come now and you'd, you'd give us a taste of this. You'd start something in our hearts that we'd say, okay, that, that is powerful. Would you come 
through what Jesus has done on the cross by the gift of the Spirit, and would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you help us to see and to feel, Lord, the glory of Jesus Christ so that we can see sin's power weakened in us and grow in areas of obedience? Lord, do this now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's start with the first one. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is this revealed truth of how to live a godly life. It's Jesus, and here's the first truth. He was manifested in the flesh. So think about this. On Christmas Eve, 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus, who was fully God, had always been God from eternity past with no beginning. Jesus, who was fully God, was manifested in the flesh. So think about this. In Jesus, God became man. The creator God of the universe, born as a baby in a manger. As Mary was holding the baby Jesus, this was God in the flesh. Now, there's all kinds of displays of glory that shined forth from that, but let me just home in on this one, which I found helpful this week. What this shows me, what I hope this shows you, is that God is not distant and aloof. He comes to us in the person of Jesus, born as a baby. He comes to us. He loves us. We can know him. He's that engaged with us to be born as one of us here on the earth. And do, do you see and feel the glory of that? As we see the glory of that, it will stir your heart. There's nothing more important than knowing God in the person of Jesus. If God would lower himself to that point and be born as a baby in a feeding trough, if God would do that, then there's nothing more important than getting to know this God who's massively powerful and creator and comes to us that closely and, and lovingly. Let that stir your heart to seek Jesus more. Second truth, Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Now let, let this just strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior, because what Paul is talking about here is it's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus worked miracles. So think about Jesus out in the boat with this massive storm, this gale force storm blowing, and Jesus says, peace, be still, and instantly the storm stops. Power. Or when Lazarus is in the tomb, and Jesus simply says, come forth. And those words impart life into this corpse and Lazarus is raised from the dead and comes forth. So the, the Holy Spirit is vindicating. He's displaying the truth of Jesus Christ by the miracles and also by Jesus' resurrection. It's by the Holy Spirit's power that Jesus rose from the dead. So let this vindication by the Spirit, this display of the truth of Jesus Christ, He is the Messiah. Look at what He did. He is the Son of God. Look at how He rose from the dead, just like He promised that He would. So let this, right now, as the Holy Spirit helps you to see this and to feel this, let this strengthen your faith. Jesus Christ, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are God in the flesh. Everything is about knowing you and trusting you and loving you and glorifying you. Let the Holy Spirit stir that in your heart.
That's second. Third, oh Lord, may the Lord just bring, bring His glory to us here. Jesus was seen by angels. Remember in Matthew, on Easter morning, an angel spoke to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Remember the story? Matthew 28, I think it is. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. He's gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So the angels saw Jesus risen from the dead. And just, again, we could, there's all kinds of facets of glory that come, but, but here's what struck me as I was meditating on this. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of your resurrection. Everyone who's trusting Jesus Christ, because you're trusting him, you are completely forgiven for all your sins, and you will be raised from the dead. Which means as you look ahead to your life, you don't look ahead like you know, five months or 10 years or 50 years and death and that's it. There's eternity before you. Never-ending eternity. Forever. The heart-filling delight of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Forever the ever-increasing joy of the presence of Jesus Christ with all the saints. This is your certain and sure destiny by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as you look ahead to your future, you've got your life here. Life here is short. Eternity is long. Your future is amazing, church. Your future is unbelievable what is out before you. Forever you're going to be filled with joy. And one of the ways this can impact us is, oh Lord, break my heart for those who don't have that. Break my heart for that. And stir me by the security of my future to, to risk in wise ways, but to take some risks, to share the gospel, to, to love people, to care for people, for Jesus' sake, for his glory. Your future is set. There's no question. A hundred years from today, we're all going to be there, all those of us who are trusting Christ. So, oh, church, let's go for broke now for the glory of Jesus Christ with wisdom, with wisdom, but let's go for it. That's how it's affected me this week. Fourth, Jesus was proclaimed among the nations. Get this, Jesus is so real, he was so glorious that the disciples, when they met him, they left everything to follow him, right? Goodbye fishing boats, right? Goodbye tax collecting business, cha-ching, goodbye, Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. He was so real, so glorious. They left everything, and they devoted their lives to proclaiming Jesus among the nations. So think about the disciples, so captured by the real glory of Jesus that they just left everything, and they devoted their whole lives to him gladly, suffered greatly in the process, but with joy because of who Jesus was. Let that fill you with boldness to join them, to join their company in the way we live here in Abu Dhabi. Jesus was proclaimed among the nations. Fifth, Jesus was believed on in the world. This is amazing. I thought about it like this. What this means is people all around the world, I mean, all, all around the world, People have turned from their money and their fame and their earthly comforts, and, and they've turned from all that to Jesus. And they've said, Jesus, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my treasure. 
I'm going to live the rest of my life for your glory. They turned from all that stuff because of who Jesus was, and they believed in it. People all around the world believed in Jesus. So let all these people, if you could see them, all this cloud of witnesses, they'd say, you believe him too. This is true. Put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, and live for him. One last one, sixth. Jesus was taken up in glory. Beautiful. He, was, he ascended into heaven. He was taken up into glory. He was seated at the right hand of God the Father where he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That covers it all. That means that Jesus Christ has all authority. Just think about that. Think deeply about that. Oh God, help us to feel that more. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has all authority. And He loves you and He laid His life down for you. So let that right now just fill you with peace about your job, peace about your health, peace about your future, peace about your move to South Dakota, your move to The Hague, peace about whatever we're we're concerned about. Let that fill you with peace. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. He can take care of every problem you face, any problem he allows you to continue in. He will so sustain you with his presence. You'll be so filled with joy that it'll be worth it all. He has all authority. The one who has all authority over everything loves you so much that he died on the cross to save you. You have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Oh, Lord, open our eyes. Help us see that. Help us to feel that. So there's Paul's six truths. That was our lab session. So did you, did you, was there a taste? Did the Holy Spirit give you a taste of seeing and feeling the glory, the reality of the glory of Jesus? Did you experience some little nibbles of, of heart change? Some little, oh, yes, yes, yes. So, so, The lab isn't over now. You can continue the lab whenever you want to as an independent study this afternoon, tomorrow, on you. Go ahead. But see, this is what we need to do every day. Every day. First thing in the morning, if you can, do this. And then, you know, when you take your lunch break or whenever you find sin creeping in upon you or wherever you find your your heart getting distracted by something else, Oh, Lord, show me your glory. You think about him. You talk with him. You worship him. You fellowship with him. When Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, he brought us the gift of godliness. Old Testament saints, they saw God's glory in beautiful ways, powerful ways, but nothing like what we've seen in Jesus Christ in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. If this was like 50 watts back there in the Old Testament, it's like 50,000 watts now in the New Testament. Glory is shining from the pages of Scripture. That is the key that the Holy Spirit will use to change your heart so that dungeon door opens, swings open, and you are back in the path of obedience in the presence of Jesus. So, Grace Church, stop trying to push open the door. Kick open the door. Ram open the door. 
you've been given the key. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's the key. So let's learn about Jesus. Let's open our Bibles and read about Jesus. Let's talk to each other about Jesus. Let's fellowship with Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. And as you do, the door will always open and you'll be brought afresh into his presence. Thank you, Jesus, for the the key of godliness. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, I pray that you'd bring your power upon us right now. I pray for anyone who's here who's not yet trusting you, Jesus, as their Lord, as their Savior, as their treasure. And I pray, Lord, that right now you'd remove the veil, that they would see and own up to the glorious reality of who you are, and that you would change their hearts and free them, that the dungeon door would open, that they would come into the joy of salvation, forgiveness, and your presence. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that every day we would behold your glory, fight to see you, and experience this key and be freed again and again and again. Thank you, Jesus, for the key of godliness. In Jesus' name, amen.